down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When you get the wrong, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Wine's for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When it gets a rump, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gowns and calling for more. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And we're here for another great show um, where we try a new wine, talk about wine, and then talk about various anarchist libertarian topics. Pretty much anything that comes up. Anything that comes up, anything that we're thinking of. I guess it doesn't always have to be libertarian. It's just things that we think are interesting. But I mean, they they always lead to it. Yeah, that's true. Or lead from it. Right. So... Okay, well let's yeah. let's go ahead and just get straight into the wine because this one you were telling me is exciting for you and it looks pretty cool. It's yeah, so this is Doctor Hedeman's Bergweiler, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that very close to correct. It's their 2016 dry riesling. So uh, the first riesling we had from Jekyll was a like a semi sweet. Um, this one is like straight on the and on. So we're talking about the international riesling scale, um, which goes from dry, medium dry, medium sweet to sweet. This is firm in the dry. Now it's not like when I was at Total Wine today. Like they actually had people that, and I'm pointing to the back of this the wine bottle that has a scale for Jacob. They had some that were like in between and like you know oh. on the lines. This one's firmly in the center of dry. So there may be drier rieslings out there which i think would be really cool kind of like try the different ones in there but this one's uh actually a german one so the first one we had was uh, california monterey area which we both like um now this is from the mosel reason region of germany which is like near luxembourg and kind of in that area like uh germany france sort of area so it's the mosel river and um so it's not like the Rhine is kind of like where a lot of the German wine is, and this is near there, but like not there. Okay. So, so it's like more mountainous, like Lux- like. Well, Luxembourg it's very very that. steep, and I've got uh. I've got some information about the region from the winery itself. So the Mosul region is one of the oldest wine growing regions in Germany. Its steep slopes, densely planted with vineyards, make the Mosul uh, Mosul a unique cultural and onological landscape of the wine world. Um, so it talks about it being a Roman tradition. Da, da, da. So like um, you know, there's just a, a good amount of winery over there. It's like a like 243 kilometers, 151 miles, kind of along the upper end of the river because it's a river valley. Um, so a lot of great varieties and apparently like starting in 1990, the German law wine laws once again permitted wine growers to plant red grapes in vineyards in this area. So apparently you couldn't plant red grapes in that area, which is interesting. like one of these things that's always baffling to us, especially like in the States up until prohibition, like you can't grow certain wine things here. Yeah. Like in the U S it's like, I'm going to grow these grapes here. It's like, well, good luck. Like right, these grapes right. don't grow here, like, yeah. and you you're welcome to try it. But like in Germany, like especially like beer purity laws, like they define what you can and can't do a lot of the time, and it's it's really yeah. interesting to me that like that's still a big thing in like a country where everyone's like, oh Germany, you know, it's like a modern democracy. It's like, well, no, right. it's not. It's like well, a I mean, federal republic yeah. where they yeah. <laughs> impose all these bizarre rules on you. Well, even if it was a modern democracy, though, it's you know 
if if the majority of people don't want something yeah then, well and that's the thing is like i don't even think it's the majority of people don't want it majority of yeah bizarre or, german laws so right. well let me take a yeah. sip of it and yeah, see exactly. see so, how it tastes and they have a they have a they have a sweet one so they have a mm. uh this winery has a non-dry version so the winery says uh has a refreshing and irre- irrepressible aroma that excludes excludes exudes significant power emerging from the bouquet of violets when exposed to air the taste is marked by a distinct acidity it is which is it, it is uh, i wouldn't say it's distinctly acidic but it's it does it is distinct and it has a that uh alcoholy t- thing like when you pull it over your tongue yeah. but it's not when you pull it over your tongue it's after you swallow it you kind of feel it in your nose a bit yeah and it's only 11 percent yeah all by volume so uh, i wonder if that if that has something to do with because uh, when we, you know, I've been listening to our earlier episodes to, mm-hmm. for putting them online and editing them, and I've noticed that we we have pointed out that that's not really a factor in the ones that I usually choose, which are usually cabs or reds, but it is in the whites that we've been trying, and all of the whites are chilled. So I'm wondering if, because alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than uh, a lot of other things... Mm-hmm. That if maybe it is present in reds, but because it's a warmer drink, the alcohol is evaporating with other bouquets or other flavors and things. That's possible. So I'm not sure. I just I just that occurred to me the other day when I was yeah. thinking about it. So uh, total wines, uh, maybe winery direct. I'm not really sure whose description is, but this was in total wine. Uh, bracing notes of tangerine and lime are prepared with pollen and crushed stones in this dry, invigorating Riesling. It's a spry, zippy wine with a long mineral finish. Mm. And it does and, have, it has a hint of that elusive farminess. Yeah. But I, I think the total wine description is pretty good. Like, it that, is. That, yeah. Like, I don't know about the crushed violets part. Like, that might be something that actually happens mm-hmm. in this, like, distillation process, like, in their. And their uh, the winemaking process, like from the the winery itself, but it is sour like a lime or a lemon, um, but it's not it's not as sour as citrus. Yeah. So it does have a sour a sour aspect to it. So yeah, I think that is a pretty good description. Yeah, it is very it, floral as well. Exactly. So fourteen ninety nine. So you know five glasses out of it. About three bucks a glass. Yeah. Uh, the Jekyll wine was twelve, um, so that was about four. I gotta say, I like the Jekyll a little more, mm-hmm. but I think I like the Jekyll a little more because it isn't as complex as this one. This one's got yeah. a lot of stuff going on with it, mm. and I think there's just more there than I can really put together at this point. It seems like there's too many competing notes and no through note through it all like you you get an upfront flavor a middle flavor and an end flavor mm. all good but i think the the and the you know it's probably because it's a dry compared to a sweet there's no like with the sweet like kind of the overriding note is the sweetness whereas this one it's not necessarily overriding acidity there's a little bit of a almost a bubbly to it so like that zip mm-hmm. but like it's not a carbonated wine or anything like that so I like the name. I, I don't. I'm not sure how many Doctor wines there are, but I think that yeah. that's a that's an interesting. I wonder like what the story behind Doctor. That's a guy. Heiderman. Uh, Heidermans. Heiderman. Heidemans. Heidemans. It's kind of how I would pronounce okay. it, but you know. Let me see if I've got uh, the description of the winery in my email, which possibly I somehow managed to delete the notes I had. Oh, well, uh, Apple. <laughs> no, it's the, well, maybe it is Apple. No, I, I doubt it is, but I just, I think, 
you know, we always like to blame Apple. Well, not you and me, but Kassam <laughs> and I always like to blame Apple for any sort of problem. Well, it's funny because like I'm I'm using like it is Apple. Yes, my phone, but it was my Gmail account. So I'm oh, like, right. what happened here? Uh, um, so let me see if I can get a little bit more about the winery. But like they the this winery has a lot of information on their site. But a lot of it is kind of like the description on the wine that I read, where it says a lot of stuff, but it doesn't actually tell you a whole lot of things. Yeah, yeah it's like a like, very a very flowery yeah, explanation. Like, they they talk a lot, but it was really cool is they they talked about like their different wines they had like they're like oh we do a bunch of rieslings, but like you look at their kind of wine list and it doesn't not a lot of them say like to me like this is a variant of riesling or this is a variant of the rieslings we do. Right. It's like, oh, we do like 13 Rieslings. And you're like, mm, okay, so where, how do I see, how do I understand that from what you're posting right here? So let's see. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't copy down. A, so a collection, so our collection of Riesling, Riesling wines is very diverse. In most vintage years, we have all the varieties found on a good wine menu, ranging from a juicy, hearty table wine to a fine quality wine and and further to a creamy, sweet, dry berry selection. Hmm, that's, that's creamy. That's interesting. But on their site, they only have like two Rieslings. Listed. Interesting. Well, I wonder I, if it's uh, if there's like batches and seasonal varieties and they sell out and it's not large enough that they stock everything forever. Yeah. So um, or like, like it rotates or something. Yeah. The most important assets of the Dr. Heidelman's Bergweiler wine estate consist of its vineyards. Extensive care of these uh, vineyards combined with intentional low yield and selective handpicking serve as a guarantees of our extraordinary wines and their individual and unique character. Mm. Our quality orientation is continued in our, in our work in the wine cellar. The Riesling grapes are processed in modern facilities just outside of Bern Castel or Castel. Our workflow is focused on gentle treatment of the grapes and the young wines. These wines are made carefully in order to ensure that typical tastes and aromas of a given vineyard are maintained. Hmm. We use small stainless steel tanks where the grapes of each different vineyard can be fermented separately. Since we have 15 different vineyards by name, we need to blend some of them later and before we fill the wine into bottles to ensure that the number of wines stay manageable. The fermentation is temperature controlled and kept very low and a, uh, very slow and at a low temperature to retain the diversity of aroma and the vitality of the wines. Very so, interesting. That says a lot of stuff. Yeah. But not a lot of, like, what the hell any of it yeah. means. Well, it may mean something to people who are a little more versed in this area. Yeah, but it's but like... It's, it, it sounds very interesting. It would be like, one of those types of things where I'd like it if maybe we went there and they gave us a tour and explained what was going on. So, this leads to something that I've kind of mentioned that I want to try to do. And this is my thought, is, like, is trying to do the Contra Krugman... Mm -hmm. wine tour or like Skousen does the riverboat tours mm -hmm. but like we do the like go to a vineyard like a series of vineyards and stuff like that and kind of experience these places right but so let's just talk physics here okay yeah two volumes of liquid mm -hmm. if you take one volume or take one of the liquids and pour some of it into the other liquid and none of it is evaporated and you didn't spill any you have the same amount of liquid 
Correct. So Unless, you yeah. can't manage the number of wines you have by pouring right. some into the other to keep it low. Like, that doesn't practically make sense unless you're literally saying, like, we took two of the vineyards and we mixed their Rieslings together to have only one one of them. Yeah, I think that's, we, that's what I gathered from it was they were saying, like, we didn't want to have eight varieties of Rieslings, so we just mixed them together. So now we have two. Yeah, but like when you look at their website, they're like, "We've got 15, and you're like, "I don't see fifteen. Like, right, I see a bunch right. of. They had a a good selection of wines, mm-hmm. but I didn't see like fifteen of them. So it's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is one of those things where it's like, so it's got a screw cap. So there's not a not mm-hmm. a cork. Uh, that I might see, that I, might I, be I, a German thing. Like, yeah. I, I know at one point ten years ago or something like that. Like there was this big thing that we're gonna run out of cork and never going to be able to do corks again or something like right. that. And that's why synthetic corks are really big. I, I don't mind a screw cap at all. Yeah. Like, I, I've never, I mean, we finish the bottle every night mm-hmm. that we do the show. So it's not like we've got a lot sitting around. There are wine saver techniques. I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, I use I use the this wine yeah. saver I got on Amazon for $10. And I think I've said I was going to write a write-up on it. I haven't yet, but I'm You're still eventually. Eating. Yeah. Yeah, I am using it. It works very well. Uh, and it works if you want to open more than one bottle. But, you know, in my household, I'm the only one who drinks. And yeah. it's nice to be able to open. I don't want to have an entire bottle. Exactly. I want to have a glass of wine, which is why I, I always favor those box wines. Or, well, one particular box wine. Because um, you can have a glass and that's it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with the bottled wine, I don't know if it's better or worse. I, I think that the that black box wine that I used to get was pretty good. Um, I'd like to revisit it. Yeah, yeah, we should revisit it, but it's the equivalent of like four bottles or something like that. Well, that's the thing is like you don't finish it. Like you buy yeah. it, you know, you have two glasses yeah. or like, and you know, not a full glass, but you have two glasses and that's see, true. you know, see what yeah. it's like. Or two of our know, large we, glasses. We well, we have the uh, the tasting planned for those two rieslings that you got. Mm-hmm. We could do kind of you know take freak show which we you know have had and we both had and enjoyed the box wine right and do half glasses so you oh, know we're not si- yeah. we're not sitting there pounding back a glass but like have half a glass of you know freak show and then have something to snack on to kind of clear mm-hmm. the palate and then another then do the box wine because right. like you do freak show up front because it's so different yeah you kind of let it's course run and then see what the box wine is like right you know or what whichever order you want to do yeah but yeah so not like in my opinion on this wine the dr heidelman burger or burger weiser burger bergweiler burger bergweiler bergweiler 2016 it's pretty good like i it's got like it's got a lot of stuff going on with it and i'd like to revisit it at some point when mm-hmm. i can i've had more dry rieslings cuz i generally get the sweeter ones i realize not intentionally but i generally do mm-hmm. um but uh i still like the jekyll better i thought the okay. jekyll was pretty like it was a pretty solid bottle of wine yeah i liked that one a lot and it was a very fair price which you know subjective theory of value uh yeah the price does factor into it for me a lot of time if it's very good and it's a very good deal. It just makes it that much better. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's something that's twelve ninety nine, you know, eleven ninety nine coming out of California, mm-hmm. and it's lick and alcohol. Yeah. Like it's pretty good. Right, right. Now, I did uh, as we talked on the Jekyll episode. We really wanted to try to get more of their stuff, and unfortunately, the local Total Wine only seems to carry that one Jekyll mm-hmm. product, and the Total Wine itself only carries three Jekyll products, and they do have more than that. So it's kind of like, mm. damn, because <laughs> like right. I thought it was a really good winery. Well, I know so. that on the Total Wine website, uh, you can 
if they don't have it at our local one, you can have it sent from another one. Well, and that that's true, but, but like if they, they only have three, yeah, that's yeah. and like I don't think they had any other reds. I think mm-hmm. they only had other whites. And okay. like one was like a Chardonnay, which I really don't care for Chardonnay. Yeah. Um. So it's like, and I don't remember what the other one was, but mm-hmm. like if they had a red, like I'd try to get that and be like, ah, oh, let's see what their red right. is like. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I mean, this is good. Let's uh, yeah. let's. Enjoy it while we discuss other things, and we'll revisit it at the end of the show. We're, yeah. at, a, we're at a good point. That was 15 minutes of, of wine time. Solid wine time. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know that you had one topic that was kind of unformed, but I figured we could go to one that I thought was interesting. Just mm-hmm. an interesting topic, not specifically because... So Larry, we all know Larry Sharp, or you and me do. Yes. Uh, he was our preferred VP candidate mm-hmm. uh, in the the recent election the 2016 presidential of the people running yeah. yeah of the people running and and i like i like larry a lot he's he's pretty much a full-blown anarchist but he's uh he's willing to play within the rules yeah. to try to get closer to anarchy. he's kind of yeah. like jason stapleton right, right. Like, so he's what what this is actually a guy who i, I was listening to on uh ribbon report who's a libertarian from or he's a liberal from England, which is their kind of version of lib- libertarian, is he said there's two classic types. Liberal. Yeah, he's a classic liberal. There's two types of libertarians. He says there's destinationalists and there's incrementalists. And he says, I'm an incrementalist. I want to do whatever I can move, I can do to move forward on getting a little bit closer. Where he says the problem with destinationalists is that they are pure, but they're drawback is they're not willing to compromise at all and they're they'll only take all or nothing and then you've got like jason sableton who i'd say is an incrementalist and he says i don't compromise at all but i will move i will take a well, centimeter or a millimeter or whatever if so i can i th- i think jason and this guy truly have the murray rothbard position which murray rothbard's position was whatever gets you closer to liberty mm-hmm. so like in the long run like you know the current tax cuts right like Yes, we would have loved to have seen as a policy like massive decrease in spending and tax cuts. Like that would have been perfect. But giving people more of their money now Mm -hmm. is a further step toward liberty. And especially when you consider that like the 10 year plans never go 10 years. Like they never, it's never like they're locked in stone for 10 years. So tax cut today, like could come up with a bunch of spending cuts tomorrow and take the liberty you can get now. And I think that's kind of like, Murray Rothbard's position was like, hey, you've got to, right. when you, whatever, like when you're presented with a situation, don't be an idiot and mm-hmm. be like, oh, I will only take the pure driven snow, take the snow that you can get, like right. get yeah. what you can yeah. well, that was, and you know, move the ball forward further. Yeah. And this recent one where people were criticizing Rand Paul a lot because he voted for the tax cuts and then he was not, he was not willing to do a debt increase and everybody right. was like, what a hypocrite. He cut taxes and he's not willing to do a debt increase. And it's like, no, that was the point was I'm willing. It's it's an incrementalist position. It's he's willing to do the tax cuts and then he's willing to fight against the increase in spending. Yeah. And that's, so, and that was and that's his, very consistent. And he and he was one of five people. Yeah. It may have been four. Right. Because I, I, I know like uh, Stephen Colbert was trying to get him on this like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Like exactly what mm-hmm. you were just talking about. And Rand Paul's like. You know, like when I said like the tax cuts, like I also imposed spending decreases and only four people voted. Right. And I couldn't tell if he was one of the four or not. So yeah. possibly five people out of a hundred said, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 we should spend less. Right. Like, what's the point of having two parties? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To Larry Sharp, he's definitely like, he's a, he's a incremental guy 
yeah. with a big destination. Exactly. Yeah. So he so he's running for governor of New York. And and I think that a lot of these decisions he's made recently are related to that. I think he's trying to maintain a uh, a good position and be, for electability, but also I think that he's cor- he's politically correct in this. And from the things I've heard about this guy, who is uh, the vice chair, Arv- his name's Arvin Vohar, and I've heard him a couple of times. A, a while ago, he made some very negative comments on U.S. soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Larry Sharp said, "Look, you need to suspend him because of his more recent comments, which was on and and I don't agree with the the article that we're reading because they keep saying that it's pedophilia. It's not pedophilia. If the person is post pubescent, it's not pedophilia. It's only pre pubescent. But that's a whole semantics thing. But uh, the guy, that's not a semantics thing. That's it's just correct. Yeah, yeah. So like that is a the the word means something specifically, yeah, yeah. and there are other words that mean sure. what they're trying to say. Yeah. So Larry Sharp resigned as the alternate re- the alternate representative. So he wasn't even really the representative for Region Eight of the Libertarian National Committee. So mm-hmm. he was an alternate, and he resigned and said, "You know what." I don't want any part of this because I I think you guys need to suspend this guy because and from what I understand he's kind of he he reminds me a lot of somebody else we know who's kind of a hothead when it comes to liberty and says a lot of very inflammatory things that are not incorrect but the way that they put them and the way that they act makes it is very off putting. So Austin Peterson, no. <laughs> right? Well, Austin Peterson. Well, he just kind of sounds like a jerk, but although I like Austin Peterson, but. Yeah. Uh, so what this guy said, and I'll go ahead and read it, it, and his post, and this is from something he put on Facebook, he said, if a 14-year-old has a kid, I would prefer the other person to be an adult with a job. And then he further goes, status logic, teenagers cannot consent to sex, but it's totally okay if we force teenagers into useless government schools against their will. Um, government schools do a thousand times more damage to teenagers than consensually dating adults ever possibly could. Non-consensual brainwashing uh, masquerading as education is far more damaging than, for example, young marriage. And I don't think that this is incorrect. Uh, And so this may be, I guess, maybe my radical position or whatever is I've always had this opinion, even when I was young in high school, is that the issue to me is... uh, there is a continuum problem. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me very ridiculous that at midnight on uh, 18 years from the day you were born, suddenly it's okay for you to choose to have sex with somebody, but one minute prior it wouldn't be. And, yeah. And so, and if you say, okay, well, you know, 17, that's fine. Well, what about one minute prior to their 17th birthday? Mm-hmm. And if you say, oh, well, that's fine. Well, what about one minute prior to their 15th birthday? So there's a continuum issue. People are not the same. And and there's a certain point, and it's very hard to say when exactly. you've gone too far. Yeah, exactly. And now, is it is an adult? And actually, this is in the news recently. Um, there is a 22-year-old teacher, a female, who had sex with an 18-year-old student, a male, and she's going to jail now. He's 18 legally, but he's a student. And so they're so, they're counting this as that he doesn't have agency over his own body because he's still a ward of the state because he's in school. And but he couldn't leave school because of the government. Because yeah, yeah right. so like so, 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 so like, but this is this is kind of it's the this this is not really the topic that I'm I, what the topic that I'm kind of bringing up here is there is a a continuum issue in this. So like one of the things like he brings up 14 
the mother of Christ was probably 14 or 15. She was very young. And so this is a cultural thing. And it's a cultural thing that the government has imposed. So it was not that long ago that women got married at 16. And men usually were a little bit older. But it was not, it was, it's, this is a, a very recent cultural change. And, and 14 is, is very young, but Edgar Allan Poe married his cousin at 14. And well, she was 14. He she was, was 14. Older. He was much older. But uh, the, it, it is odd. And in our modern culture, it's very strange, but it would not have been unheard of just 100 years ago. Yeah. And, and so in this, this is actually, what... uh, I believe that Kassam's grandmother was 15 when she married his grandfather. Yeah. So this is, so this is one of those things that it's, it's like teen 2.0 where mm-hmm. like so going back to the the teacher thing if he was 18 mm-hmm. and say she didn't know he was a student at the school she taught at met him at a like a an event that was in the community like say it was like a, a fourth of july barbecue right and like he'd been held back a year and was going to turn 19 mm-hmm. in his senior year yeah I was 19 like, when I graduated. Yeah. So like, but like he, he's been held back. She doesn't know he's a student. She begins a relationship with him. Is she going to jail? Or if he's a student at another school where mm-hmm. she doesn't teach. I understand it. Like, I understand some of the logic and I would understand if she had lost her job, mm-hmm. if she was directly his prison captor. Right. Because she was his direct teacher. I understand like the agency thing there where it's like. There may be some implications of him being not not necessarily being okay with rejecting her advances if they weren't mutual, like right. because he's worried about like you know say he was a a nerdy scared kid and he had like a five GPA and he was going to go to Harvard and she's like I'm going to fail it get you failed in all your classes right and he thought he was going to lose like all these scholarships and everything like that okay I could see that like but that's also like but there's other ways to deal with that like that's fraud sure it, you know like that's fraud and abuse there are other ways to deal with that mm-hmm. like the kid doesn't know about but like you don't have to be putting somebody in jail for that but right. like this is one of those ones where like one I don't know why this guy's making these statements necessarily yeah. like that's kind of one of those ones where it's like okay what brought this up like I don't disagree with the position necessarily I don't, as a father of a daughter, I don't, I don't suppose that my daughter is going to be or not be sexually active at 14. I'm hoping she won't be because I'm hoping she'll have the wherewithal to wait till she's possibly more mentally developed. Right. You know, with just general life experience instead of making rash 14 year old decisions, because even if you have exited puberty, you still make some rash decisions. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I make rash decisions at 31. Like, right. You know, but I have a little bit more knowledge on what I'm doing with those rash decisions. But that's one of those ones that's like, why is this guy even bringing it up? Sure. Like, what's what triggers you to go and make this provocative position? Yeah. It's fine if you were asked that question. Right. But like, what prompts you to specifically say that? Yeah, and I'd be interested to see the context as well, and it doesn't seem like it goes into it very much, but this is one of the things that you remember Bobby Lawson? Mm -hmm. So he and I used to talk about this occasionally, is there's a book called uh, The Art of the Libertarian Persuasion, and I cannot for the life of me remember who wrote it, but uh, in that, the author talks about something called the libertarian macho flash, and so it's basically like you're you're, flashing your muscles or whatever, Mm -hmm. And a lot of libertarians fall into this. I know I do occasionally where I'm more libertarian than the next guy or I'm more anarchist than the next guy. Yeah. And so, and I do, and I have to catch myself well, online. It's dick, talking it's dick about wagging. It. Yeah. Like, basically. It's the, yeah. Every, every culture, every yeah. 
every subgroup, everything has this. It's the trump card. It's mm-hmm. like, it, and this is the, you can't win an argument, so you call somebody a racist. So then sure, yeah. that loses its flavor, so you call him a Nazi or a white supremacist. Yeah. That's like, right. who's got the bigger dick? And like, oh, I've read these 19 books by Rothbard, sure. and I'm sorting citing these multi-paragraph statements in response to your question of, well, why specifically gold? Yeah. And and not in that, like, hey, here's, like, a, this article I wrote six years ago that, like, sure. just lays out what you could see and what has government yeah. done to our money in just a shorter version. Yeah. Like, you're going, like, oh, ha, yeah. how could you even th- question gold? Right. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just... Well, this is... Sort of in the in the art of libertarian persuasion, I think the the subject that or the the instance that he brings up is social security. So he goes, so imagine you're talking to somebody about social security and there's five people watching, and you just go, social security, that's slavery, and or whatever, you know, and then that's the end of the conversation. He says, well, you're not convincing anybody, and yeah. there may be multiple people in that five people watching who are whose grandmothers live on social security or they they heavily rely on things like Medicare and Social Security and things like that. He says this is this is part of the sinister nature of the government is that they've they've got their fingers in all the pies. And so when you make these arguments, it's very difficult. So you have to kind of lead people to lead people to water, basically, and say, like, well, I, I can understand looking, wanting a social safety net for your, for, you know, your, for your grandmother or for yourself in old age or something along those lines. And, um, and it makes a lot of sense. And it's very a very compassionate position. However, there's a lot of unintended consequences uh, associated with things like Social Security or social safety net provided by the government um, that is very damaging to elderly people and and probably shortens their lifespan and reduces the amount of income that they could potentially have. And let me go through them with you. And so this is a much better way to kind of get somebody to come over to your side than to than in Macho Flash, which is like, you know, it seems like from this Facebook post, and it may be taken out of context, but when he's like, ha ha ha, 14 year olds should get pregnant by adult men or whatever, you know, that seems very brash. But at the same time, that would not be the way to approach it. You should say, look, given the evidence, 14 year olds are likely going to be sexually active. And well, much less likely. Well, or, or less likely. It depends on the situation. Yeah. But uh, people who are under 18 are going to be. And we've got a situation where there are people who are potentially not very many years older than 18 who are dating people who are not very many years younger than than 18. And and we're not discussing right now. Let's put this out of out of the the topic is we're not talking about prepubescent people. We're talking about young women who have already gone through puberty and young men who have already gone through puberty. So, and we can address some of the cultural biases, for example, you know, actually Victoria and I just watched this movie that, uh, that's my boy where it's an Adam Sandler movie where he gets his teacher pregnant at when he's 14 and everybody high fives him and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. All right. Go, go for it. And all that sort of stuff. Don, I think his name's Donnie. Go for it, Donnie. Yeah. And he did it. And I think like the comedy is very culturally relevant because when it happens with a guy sleeping with his hot teacher, it's like a high five instance. And nobody yeah. and nobody people do pretend that it's like predatory and all that sort of stuff. And sometimes it is, I'm sure. Uh, but the thing it, is, many there's times a it is. very big cultural difference between a 25 year old, 20 between, you know, 25 and 30 year old man getting like sleeping with a 14 year old girl and a 14 year old boy sleeping with a 25 to 30 year old woman, particularly if the woman is hot. Yeah. That's, and that are perceived that way. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's one of the, 
like the insidious nature of these conversations is like I don't think what he was saying was even like a mod libertarian flash mm-hmm. because he was saying like and he left parts of this out but it's kind of like so two 14 year olds have a kid and they both ruin their lives right a 20 year old and a 14 year old have a kid the 20 year old may have like maybe a machinist sure. making a hundred thousand dollars a year ready to have a family yeah. or like, like I mean remember when you and I met and I was, I was 21 I had a job that paid yeah. Very, very well for a 21-year-old. Exactly. And, uh, now, granted, I wasn't dating somebody who was less, but there were several instances, and, I, and I've and i shared this with you, where I hit on somebody, and then I went, ooh, you're 17? Never mind. Yeah. And and it's it's sometimes very difficult to tell. Now, fortunately, for me, I, I guess I have enough fear of the state to just be like, oh, that's off limits, because I don't want to get in trouble. Well, and that's the thing, is like, it's not even worth pursuing, yeah. like, because... Like, even if we knew how everything turns out, like, it's not worth sure. pursuing because it's like, even if the state didn't get involved, like, yeah. if that per- person's parents chose to get involved, mm-hmm. then you're like, ah, this is just, like, yeah, at or, 18, well, you know, like, you, you remember, have that we, quasi- you remember the, the first time that we met our mutual friend, London, mm-hmm. uh, he came over, we partied at my house, there was alcohol, there was some drugs, and and then Nate, the next day, told me he was 17. Yeah. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. You brought a 17-year-old over here yeah. when we have alcohol and we had, you know, weed and stuff like that. You can't do that, Nate. And he's like, well, what's the problem? Uh, the problem is, is if anybody showed up, I would be in trouble. I, yeah. I'm the one on the lease. Like, this is going to be a huge problem for me. And, you know, fortunately, as time went on, it ended up being not a, not a huge problem in London turned 18. And, and so it was not a big deal. But that could that that's not even a sexual relationship or anything. That's just a kid coming over. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, it's like, and actually, let me rephrase that. That's just a person under eighteen coming over because, as the guy who was on Tom Woods talked about, mm-hmm. they're kids not kids. <laughs> yeah, they're they're just young adults, and they, they are still developing. But you still are developing until you're twenty five years old. Yeah, and, and then you're aging. Yeah, so, and that's the thing is like, even if London's parents didn't choose to pursue legal actions against you, mm-hmm. the state could have chosen mm-hmm. to for violate like like because the state somehow has agency over him, right? Like, which yeah, makes yeah, absolutely no, or, they, no or sense. they would or they would pursue legal action against his parents for neglig- negligence. Yeah. And it's like and, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was, as far as I knew, he, I mean, he was he drove around a Dodge Charger. He he seemed like an adult, like a brand new Dodge yeah. Charger. <laughs> so, like, he seemed to me like he was an adult, but he was a just a young guy whose dad had a Dodge Charger, yeah. and he drove his dad's car all the time. Yeah, and exactly. so everything, every I mean, we were very young. We were in our twenty early twenties. Yeah, and so, but that sort of same situation could happen. Is you know, you're at a party, your roommate brings over some people, some of those people are underage, and the young person gets pregnant, and you're in jail. Yeah. And, and then, like, even then, like, they don't bring over, like, that pregnancy doesn't happen, but, like, they, cops show up, yeah. and, like, even if they just walked in the house, and you're getting ready to card people. Right. And then, oh, no, 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 like, somehow they already got a beer, or, like, you're in the restroom, mm-hmm. sick, because you ate, like, a, you know, you ate a bad pizza, or something like mm-hmm. that. Or cheese. And, yeah, like, any, any of those <laughs> things, like... Suddenly, yeah. you're extremely ill, and you get out, and you're like, right. wait, 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 I, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you, I need to see your IDs, and then the fuzz is walking in the door. Right. And unless they hear you going, I need to see your IDs. Right. Like, and even then, they might be like, oh, you knew I was coming. It's like, dude, I was just up chucking my brains out. Yeah. And my, you know, I came out, and these people, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And like, even then, like, if they're not, like, say, like, they truly weren't going to consume anything alcoholic, mm-hmm. like, they were, like, it's a party, but, like, they're not going to do any drugs, and they're not there to consume alcohol, but they're, yeah. it's just, they're hanging out, and people are drinking. Yeah. Like, you can still get in trouble for that stuff, like, right. 
Yeah. Well, see, and this is it's, this to me goes into the whole issue of continu- it's a continuum issue, and I'm much I'm much more okay with the culture driving the government than the government driving the culture. And it seems to me that in this case, the government has driven the culture to assume that you're for whatever reason at midnight on your 18th birthday, you're magically a a functioning adult when that's very clearly not the case. I mean, you and I both know people who are in their 30s who are not functioning adults. Well, and, and, and this is the thing is like, I don't, we've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. The government isn't a thing. It's mm-hmm. a collection of people. And so just like, right. you know, as the, and I wish I could remember the gentleman's name because he's super, super interesting, but Teen 2.0. Right. Talking about like how this one woman basically came up with these certain ideals. Right. And those certain ideals have projected onto the way society is, which is projected onto the government. So I don't think it's the government driving society. I think society is always driving the government. I think the problem is it's the Uh, perceived. Robert Epstein. Yeah, Robert Epstein. But I think it's the perceived society. Right. And like. Well, and it, it is. I think this actually. Uh, unless um, it's Nancy Reagan, because she did. She did use lot, the government yeah, right. to do a lot but, of stuff. But this does seem to be kind of what happens with the government is it does seem to be like a collectivist elite that come up with these rules. I mean, like for. So, you know, the drinking age up until the late 70s, I think, was 18. And then they raised it to 21. You know, they did that, right? Uh, draft was a draft issue no they withheld federal funds for highways oh okay so again with this idea that you know cars might not be the most efficient way to get around sure but like my mom was one of the people that was grandfathered in oh so when she turned 18 she could legally drink yeah and then virginia changed the law to be 21 but because all people who were 18 at that point as of you know x day were allowed to keep drinking oh interesting so she was one of those people and but like they did it by withholding federal highway funds yeah which you know why is the federal government funding the highway right well and i think that it would make much more sense but i I agree with you that it's that this is a that it's a this was actually this is a case kind of with prohibition as well where it was a it was a minority that was very vocal and outstanding affecting what happened to the majority well it's so, like the the ten, like bob murphy show mm-hmm. the law the laura murphy report right. they're like you know the 10 percent. yeah like 10 percent yeah, can change yeah right. and that's kind of like insidious in that like nature of like you can permanently change people's choices mm-hmm. the ability for them to make choices by only having 10 percent Right. And that's terrifying from like the idea of like somebody who wants to just be left alone. Yeah. Like I don't like if you guys want to go form a conclave and a mm-hmm. cult and worship stones. Cool. Yeah, go, go for it. Leave yeah. me alone. And like, but I'll I guess leave you alone. That's interesting because this is sort of going to revisit the episode that we had the clip from Walter Block where I was talking about um, it. Are we evolving into liberty? And it may not be the case because if only 10% need to happen to affect change, if 10%, if the 10% that are like uh, extremely individualistic and just want to be left alone, that's their position is they want to be left alone. So they kind of leave everybody else alone. Well, it's like, um, and so they don't really, and that's maybe, so maybe there is 10% of the population who is very libertarian, but they don't engage because that's Timothy Leary said like tune in and drop out, like pay attention and then stop participating. Right. And like, that's part of the problem is like, like Tom Woods, like as far as I understand, doesn't vote and you don't vote. My wife, I vote, I vote occasionally. Yeah. Like I vote because I I vote, I, I, the, 
I gotta go back and forth on it. It's more of a religious issue, but yeah, uh, I I vote I because I think it's forth. fun. Yeah, to like write in everybody, yeah. like just write in people. Like I I enjoy doing that. Like I think it, like yes, I don't think I'm affecting change. Yeah, and I rarely ever vote on a like a topic like that. It's like oh, like do you think this proposition? Like usually I go with whatever's doesn't cost me any money. Yeah, like but I think that, like the last time I went and voted, I I did end up voting for everything, but I wrote in all the candidates and I voted against. Light Virginia rail. Beach Light Rail. That was the that was the the only reason I went was to vote no on that. Yeah, because you were the you had still were still registered in Virginia yeah. Beach, and yeah. I had already registered in Norfolk. Right. So I went down there to do it, and I and I this may be one of the most jerky things I've done is I specifically did it to cancel somebody else's vote. Yeah, and but and that I was let them such <laughs> such a good choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I told I said it on this is when I was still on Facebook. Uh, I said it on Facebook. I said this is what people should be doing is they should be spite voting. Find the most obnoxious person you know and vote the opposite of them and then let them know that you voted the opposite so that their vote doesn't count. So that's what I do every time because I vote for like <laughs> right. I vote for like I vote against yeah. everybody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, but yeah, it's the it's like oh you needed me to vote for your candidate. Well, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, you needed me to not vote for this guy. Well, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> like, I didn't. Right. I voted. For, I voted completely different. Yeah. So but, yeah. So like, but this is you know kind of going back to the the topic at hand, the continuum issue of age. This is another thing that that when I was much younger, I used to have this conversation with my with my mom all the time. Is that I said, well, and this is so funny because I I did believe in democracy back then, but I would tell my mom I'd be like, well, if you believe in democracy, then shouldn't the shouldn't the uh, whoever's in local parentis of the child have that number of votes. If you have five kids, shouldn't you have five five votes plus your own vote, so six votes? And she's like, no, no, one one person, one vote, or whatever. I was like, well, that doesn't doesn't make sense to me, because if these people are being affected by what happens with the government and the society at large, and you're the custodial individual who's in charge of their rights, and their rights are expressed through you, shouldn't you have the number of votes of the number of kids you have? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. It's like, by that same token, if you don't drive, mm-hmm. why do you get to vote on, like, car safety laws? Sure, right. Like, but, I, why, but why like, should you also, on that same token, if you don't drive, why should you have to pay for the road? Well, and the, see, know. that's that's another wonderful question. Like, you have to pay for the road, theoretically, because you use goods that are transported mm-hmm. on the road but like that should be baked into the cost of the good right. you know which we would agree with but like that's one of those ones it's like why is california and this is an so another another wonderful libertarian eric peters yep uh car guy like has an article that i haven't read but i kind of get i think i understand his point is like california is driving national policy on cars oh yeah by all of yeah. their batshit crazy rules mm-hmm. that affect the cars i can buy in virginia sure yeah and it's like why the hell does california sacramento get to dictate what my car is like in virginia yeah. especially if my car yeah. is not manufactured in california like i understand if it was manufactured in mm. california or i bought it in california right but i didn't well that was there's a, a documentary and i actually very much enjoy the documentary um called who killed the electric car and other than the fact that I just don't think electric car right now is is practical, but um, and then aside from all of the subsidies and like issues with the roads and all that sort of stuff, but in the who killed the electric car issue is that 
California at the time mandated that if you wanted to sell cars in California, you had to produce X percent of your vehicles had to be electric. Yeah. There's 30 million people in California. A little more, actually. I think, I think it's 39. Is it 39 now? I think it is. Okay. But... And there are 320 million or 310 million in the United States, something along those lines. I think California is 10% of the population. Okay. So, like, I think that would be a good number we could use. Just right. say California is 10% of the population. So, this po- this population of people dictates, and, and also full disclosure, I'm a, uh, like, a supporting with money person in the 51st state of Jefferson, Northern California, um, for 39.5 million. Okay. So almost 40 million people. So these 40 million people dictated to the rest of the country, the rest of the consumers in the country of automobiles, that those automobile manufacturers had to produce a certain number of electric cars in order to sell in California. That's a very large percent of the country. And so the manufacturers did end up, uh, I guess, capitulating. Um, and the prob- But the problem is that well, you force people to do this ridiculous law. It distorts the market. It makes cars more expensive because they have to offset that cost somewhere. And then and then they take a lot of this money and then they dump it. And so everybody who complains about lobbyists should be in favor of small government because the only reason you have lobbyists is because the government matters. Well, it's like late it, – this is one of those things that like people always are like, oh, late-stage capitalism. Like, you know, and they mm-hmm. show these corporations sucking up to the government. And it's like, so you want more of that? Right. Like, and California has 12% of the population. 12%, like 12.8 okay. or something yeah. like that. But, so like, this is this is just what people don't seem to get. Mm-hmm. Corporations without government's abilities or government-like abilities mm-hmm. can't force you to do business with them. If you don't want to buy McDonald's, you don't buy McDonald's. You right. like Moe's more than McDonald's. Moe's being a Southwestern yeah. grill, kind of like Chipotle. And, and my better. favorite, my very favorite yeah. fast food restaurant. Yeah. Or I don't it's, know if it's, it's fast food. It's but casual it's, dining. Yeah, casual dining. But like, Although McDonald's does have really good soft serve ice cream. This thing is McDonald's <laughs> has improved themselves very, very, yeah. like they've done very well at improving themselves. But like, if you don't want to eat at McDonald's or eat a Taco Bell, you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't want to shop at Kroger, you go to Food Lion sure, or yeah. Farm Fresh or some other grocery store. Right. Like but, one if of you, them, but if you don't like the DMV, you can't, nuggies. Like, yeah, <laughs> you can only go to the DMV. Right. You don't like the fact that the government taxed you to make the HOV lanes and now makes them toll lanes at certain points of the day. Mm-hmm. Tough. You don't like the fact that they only use Easy Pass and you can't have some other alt- competing alternative. Mm-hmm. Tough. Like, this is one of those things. It's like they somehow people are like, oh, oh you know, so, so, you know, well, 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 the government, you know, um, well, if there if there wasn't lobbyists, the government would be great. Right. There's lobbyists because the government exists. Yeah. Like corporations, if you weren't so if it wasn't so easy to buy the government, mm-hmm. the corporations wouldn't be doing it. And like, look at the money that supposedly the pay for play Clinton money for the uranium one deal. Right. It's less than $30 million. Mm-hmm. Apple has $256 billion. Right. And it took the Russian government, who doesn't have that much money. Mm-hmm. The Russian government, their military budget is $50 billion a year, roughly. Right. And that's Apple, what we're afraid of. <laughs> Apple, Apple has five times yeah. in cash the Russian military budget. Now, like, Apple couldn't replace $50 million sure. every or $50 billion every year. Right. 
took less than $3 million to buy the Clinton Foundation for the Uranium One deal, Mm -hmm. which isn't even that big of a deal. Like, realistically, uh, under a libertarian society, it would be 100% fine if a competing, another country's government bought the rights to this company. Mm -hmm. Like, we wouldn't complain about it at all. And, like, we wouldn't complain that the Hillary Clinton Foundation was paid, like, a million and a half dollars to facilitate the purchase. Right. Like, that would be perfectly fine because you're a lawyer. You've got to get somebody to help you figure out the legal things to make these things work. Like, realistically, other than the fact that it's the government had to approve the deal, none of what they did was actually bad or wrong. Right. Other than, like, oh, they broke these laws. Yeah, they yeah. broke these laws to break laws that shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I you know, I kind of, like, I hate the Clintons. And I really hope Hillary Clinton ends up in jail. But I don't know if, like, realistically, what she did is actually a crime. Well, the only reason I hope she ends up in jail is because she's a murderer. Well, she's a murderer, but also intergalactic or interdimensional child molesters, as as, uh, Alex Jones. You gotta understand, it's the interdimensional child molesters. Oh, man, my favorite thing that he said, he had a a recent custody battle for his kids. Ah. And he says, I only smoke weed once a month or once a year to make sure that uh, they're not increasing the potency to take control of the minds of the kids. I I think I've only heard Alex Jones talk twice. So to me, like, I know Alex Jones, I kind of have an idea what he looks like. But to me, it's just like uh, Macho Man Randy Savage is like shouting through the back of his head. (laughs) It's like a puppet the way you're doing it. But like, but but you're right, though. It is like it's the issue is and and this is kind of the issue going back to the whole Larry Sharp resigning thing is I, I think he did the appropriate thing just for optics. But that these are issues that are not the government's business. But it's that because they've made it their business and this small group of people who have what is it, what is the number of people who vote in the United States is something like 40 million? I, uh, I think it was I think it was less than 60 million or less. Yeah. On the last election, which was it was a higher turnout yeah. than had been. Right. But still incredibly low. Right. So you imagine with this number of people that maybe let, let's be generous 10% are informed voters and they and they really wanted Hillary or they really want Trump for actual issue reasons let's assume that which is i think very very generous so this 10% of 60 million people so 6 million people they decided the fate of America at least on the presidential side for the next 4 years yeah and and to to belie, to belie that, like, you and I are informed people. Yeah. I'm reading, and this ties back to the Larry Sharp thing, mm-hmm. I'm reading Scott Horton's wonderful book, as I talked about on the last podcast, mm-hmm. um, uh, Fool's Errand, Time and the End of the War in Afghanistan. And like I said that last time, it's like Scott Horton just beats you over the head in a mm-hmm. good way of all of the reasons we shouldn't be there. But, like, mm-hmm. one of the things that he was talking about in the area that I'm in right now is, like, the war crimes U.S. soldiers have committed in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. where it's like one of like, and this is one of those ones where like in the Kogastal or something like that. It's a very famous like there's a like Despero like there was a documentary that came out that was like really against a- the Afghanistan war. And the follow up one is in this valley and it's the name of the valley. Mm-hmm. At some point, if I'm getting this correct, like some guys got injured in an IED explosion, not even killed, mm-hmm. injured. And on the way back to their base, they just murdered everyone they ran into that was Afghani. Hmm. 
children, grandparents, right. didn't matter. They shot and killed everyone they could. And it and it wasn't like these people were like standing behind children firing AKs at them or something like that. And like, you know, in this huge fire, right? No, they just murdered everyone in their way mm-hmm. in an area of Afghanistan that wasn't controlled by the Taliban. Right. Like they just murdered everybody in their way. And I knew this had happened. And I had forgotten about it. Right. And like, so we're, we are informed voters if we vote and we forget about these things. And sure. like that, oh, yeah. like well, this is it's not, it's, I mean, it's real, but it's in real in the same sense as the X-Files is real or whatever. But it's like, something you knew or that you were. It, but this is one of those things that like your dad mm-hmm. knows yeah. these people are people who have committed war crimes. And sure. not even like, like war is a crime. Yeah. Like Geneva Convention war crimes. Sure. And whether like and I know your dad like presented with the evidence would be like totally against what they did mm-hmm. and like I I'm, I'm sure your dad couldn't justify and wouldn't try to justify most of the actions. Mm-hmm. There are times where I'm sure based on the intel your dad made and we may have made the decision that was made. Sure. But like some guy we know was injured in an IED, we're not murdering children in the street and your dad is sure yeah. shit not doing it and no. your dad is sure shit not letting somebody else do it. Right. But these are the people who are like the best of the best. And they're doing these, like, petty crimes. Right. Like, well, you know, what's interesting about this, and I'll, I'll share it, because mostly because I you know my dad won't listen to the show ever, but uh, he did share one thing for me, and I, and I talked to him a little bit about this, and he said one time he was, when he was in Afghanistan, he was running on the base, and he said that he was running, and he saw a little kid on the outside of the fence that separated the base from the outside world. And he said, I saw in the eyes of that kid that he wanted to kill me. And, and I kind of was like, well, you're in his country and you know, you don't know what his experience has been or whatever. He doesn't know what your experience has been. And you don't know what you don't know. You you don't know. He doesn't know what you're going to do. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but when you think about it, like this is the mindset of the American soldier is that they see these people and these people want to kill them. And whether it's perceived or not, I would totally understand if it was not perceived, if it was real. And but the the scary part of it is that, and this is where I would disagree with actually going back to their Larry Sharp thing because the other thing the guy said. Uh, let me pull his name back up because I just want to make sure that I'm getting it correct. The other thing that uh, Vohar, his name's Arvin Vohar. I'm very interested to know what who he is and like what his ethnicity is and it's I, it, a very it's, unusual it's name. one of those names where i'm wondering if that's a, a name he has adopted yeah and it wouldn't surprise me either because there are a lot of libertarians who are kind of like interesting people i've made up my name yeah yeah or well and we know we know individuals who used to go by a different name and now but go by trey and trey has nothing <laughs> to do with their old name but that's neither here nor there but one of the other things that that Arvin said, and this is the other thing that I think Larry, maybe triggered Larry David to leave, is that Arvin said that all U.S. soldiers are murderers. And I don't believe that that is the case. I think that U.S. soldiers are victims of the state. Uh, and, and they do horrific things. But I think that they're duped. The U.S., the US the voting U.S. populace voted for George W. Bush the second time. They did. They are duped. And then here's believing the- that this mass murderer with a with a administration that's full of mass murderers was on their side and do you i i think if you would talk to like the evangelicals even well 
maybe I wouldn't give this to them, but like I, I want to give it to them because this is the community I come from, is that you do believe in Christ. You really think that George W. Bush and Rumsfeld and um, you know all of these terrible people that were just slaughtering over a million people during during this time, you think that these are the people that are on the side of Christ? Turn your other cheek. But that, and that's the, like, and this is one of those, it's insidious to me. Yeah. For a religious standpoint, because, like, one of the things that Christ teaches is you can't judge. Sure. Yeah. But. Well, then you shouldn't vote. But the, it, that's, <laughs> so, like, but that's the thing is, yeah. like, I agree. I, yeah. I agree with the log. Like, to me, I don't make the logical leaps that you do mm-hmm. when I hear those words. Right. But when I hear the leaps, I'm like, how did I miss it? Sure. Like, you shouldn't vote. And, like, all of these things where it's like, no, 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 well, like, I, like I, I'll, I'll go ahead and step through my, like, my logic just for the listeners on, on the not voting thing. And I go back and forth on this. So I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm perfect or whatever. I do vote sometimes, like the light rail yeah. thing I did vote on. Um, and I voted just because I was there. I voted on other things because I know that whatever I vote doesn't matter. Yeah. Because democracy is ludicrous and it doesn't matter. Well, we're a republic anyway. So. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, the whole idea of voting is ludicrous. But it's uh, not. But I can see I can see why. Yeah. But I'll, I'll go why sure. I think it's not okay. in a little bit. All right. So um, so there's there's like I have like multiple stages and I've gotten a lot of hate online. Like I actually posted this on Facebook once and I got like multiple private messages of very venomous attacks and I responded to each one of those, oh, you guys are Christians? Because they had like, which is kind of a jerk thing to do, but I was like, look, I laid out my argument. But the my argument would be, so A, if you're voting for somebody, you, you're you putting your trust in them rather than in God. So you're putting your trust that they're going to do what they say. So we know just from the evidence that politicians don't do what they're going to say. and And sometimes they can't. They yeah, and that's the thing is, the like, they, they don't have the ability, the unforeseen right. circumstances happen. Yeah. Secondly, why would you put somebody, so if you believe that it, it's wrong to murder, for example, so you think it's wrong to murder, why would you put somebody who you believe to be a fellow Christian in a position where they're going to have to kill people? The president of the United States is going to murder people. That's just the way it is. It's been the way it is. I don't think there's a single president of the United States who has not ordered the death of somebody else. The guy who died in 36 days because he got oh, that, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he did. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I honestly think that some of the middle presidents yeah. didn't murder, didn't order the death of anybody. Well, but I mean, like, just look at, like, but so that, I think that the example is really the first president. The very first president fought a long war. What is it? How long was the revolution? 12. Nine years? 12 years? 12. So 12 years, revolution. Fought a revolution. Gets taxation without representation. One or two years into his presidency, a bunch of people said, wait, a whiskey tax? I don't want to pay that. I didn't vote for this. And he mustered an army, sent the army up there. The people gave up, and he still killed a bunch of them. This is the very first president, Washington, whoever is on the quarter, who's on the dollar bill, who everybody worships as being this great hero, and he's a killer. And and, and I would even go back to the revolution. I mean, you know, I've talked about this too, is that he went to the British first and asked to be a general. Yeah. And then he went to the Americans and wanted to be a general and the british said sorry you're not a british you're not you're not a brit you were born in the colonies so you kind of suck and he went oh you feel that way i'm going to beat you (laughs) really george washington is very much like trump i don't think trump wanted to be president until they told him he couldn't and i think maybe washington kind of had that same sort of thing where he was like well i want to be a general in the in the british army and they were like nope 
And he went, well, what about the French Indian War? I was I was a really valuable person. Like, yeah, but you're not. You know, I was a good colonel. Well, it, see, this is the <clears> thing <throat> that like I think, and I, I get what you're going with. Yeah. Like the we'll leave the whiskey rebellion sure. aside because I think the dates you have are a little wrong on that. But I, I may be wrong. Okay. I thought it was. There's a Tom Woods episode about it sure. where I, I heard some stuff where I didn't expect. Okay. But because I always remembered what you told me and I originally had never really thought about it. Mm. But like I think like one of those things is like Washington thought that like, no, like this is the proper thing to do is defend the crown. Yeah. And then when he found out what the crown stood for, which was not law and order and like the just mm-hmm. thing, he's like, all right, well, these people are fighting for something different and I can make a decision here. Now, I don't agree with his decision. Sure. Like, I don't agree with fighting the war to begin with because like killing people who have no reason to be here and no reason to not have, been, you know, like all that stuff that yeah. goes into not fighting the war. But like, I have less problem with him going to the British first because it's like, yeah. I don't agree with these guys' ideals because, like, I don't have a personal stake in these ideals. Mm-hmm. Then he had a personal stake. Fighting a rebellion, everybody comes to it in their own ways. You and sure. I are rebelling against the government at all times because of things we've come to in our own personal sure. life where it's like, I don't want 20% of my freaking life yeah. sucked away to feed somebody else. Well, and it, you did and, a calculation. And yeah. if, if you included embedded tax and all that sort of stuff, it's 60 to 80%. Well, and, and, that, and that's the thing is like, you know, a $1.2 trillion deficit yeah. for shit I don't care about. Well, for debt that your child is going to have from before they were conceived. Yeah, and that's, and, and that's the yeah. thing is like, I do not care about building another aircraft carrier ever mm-hmm. because... The Russians on $50 billion have found ways to defeat aircraft carriers mm-hmm. and the United States can defeat them too. Right. The United States doesn't – so one of, the, like, one of the things that I want everybody to understand right now, the United States government is the largest death machine ever created. Yeah. We have found more ways to kill people than the Nazis, than the Japanese in World War II, and then the communists combined. We have found more ways to kill everybody. First to the nuclear weapon, first to the hydrogen weapon – First to the neutron weapon, we've every chemical weapon that has come about, we have recreated it and improved it. Every biological weapon that's come about, we have recreated it and improved it or stole it. Right. <clears throat> we we have every weapon that's possible. The only thing the United States hasn't done is develop a carrier beating weapon. Why? Every other country has one carrier, except right. for China and Britain, who have two. We have thirteen. We don't need of and that's the thing is like Everyone's like, oh, like the Russians have developed like a torpedo or something like that or a hypersonic cruise missile. We developed a railgun instead. Yeah. We're literally a And we have a, a cruiser equipped with it. Yeah. Well we or have, at least more we than have one. multiple cruisers yeah. equipped with it. But we that can fire a soda can like mm-hmm. projectile at ship ending speeds. And right. the Chinese apparently have one now too. Yeah. But it's like I've if, always thought that that, you know, just sort of on the topic of railgun, that the 3D printing revolution, that that might be the way it's going to end up going is if they could f- figure out a way to contain enough power to drive one. Is that because they've got a couple of 3D printed railguns already, but they're mm-hmm. like, they shoot washers. Oh, yeah. And they don't shoot them at super fast speeds. But. If you could come up with a way to contain enough power to shoot a washer and you don't really need that much metal in it, you just need some magnets, some electromagnets. And the the biggest problem with a railgun is the sequencing mm-hmm. of the magnetic firing. Right. However, the people who attempt to build a railgun are idiots. Yeah. And the guys on Mythbusters, if they chose to build the railgun, sure. could produce a railgun that would be lethal mm. from 
multiple miles. Right. Like, you and I could do it. Yeah, if we it, yeah, If it we were disgusting individuals, yeah. we could do something like that. Like, the, the thing is, a rail weapon, it's when it's military application, that's incredibly difficult. Right. But a one-off, one-time-use weapon is not very difficult. Right. The people who are doing it are just not they're, – they're always concerned about the other thing. But there's a guy who's, like, made the railgun that, like, fires something like 200-something miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But it's super big projectile. Right. And it's, like, super deadly up close. And you really couldn't stop somebody – like, the normal – he's got a right. gun things. It'd shoot through a person. Like, sure, yeah. you know, the they're super deadly things. But that's one of the things that, like, all these defense people are like, oh, the Russians, the Russians, the Russians. It's like, yeah. okay, the Russians do not have anything currently yeah. that, like, yeah, we may lose a carrier. We can hit all of their subs. They're all noisier than ours. There's only one sub in the world that we have trouble with. And it's like the Danish or what, whatever country right. it was that built the, um, what's it called, the... The one with the Sterling engine. Oh, that's yeah, the only yeah, sub. Yeah. I can't remember who built that, but yeah. Like that's the, that's the thing that like always makes me laugh is like there are these super big stories about like the the Russians thinking they're tailing a U.S. sub mm-hmm. when there's a sub tailing the Russian sub. Right. Like the like every time like like North Koreans have diesel subs, they're loud as shit. We know we like the U.S. military is the biggest death engine in the world. Sure. Like there's a like a story that I've told you multiple times. So a guy I knew's friend was his dad was in NATO mm-hmm. and he was German. Right. And he tells the story of like this because and so those the people who don't know the U.S. government is so powerful that all air traffic controllers and all pilots have to know English in this world mm-hmm. because. That's the universal language, and it's because of America. So there's a SR-71 Blackbird, which flies at incredibly high speeds and incredibly high altitude. So the Germans get a call from an SR-71 flying over Germany during the Cold War asking to come down to 100,000 feet. Now, the average plane flies at like five miles. That's like 25,000 feet, maybe 30,000 feet. This is 70,000 feet above that. Right. This plane is flying and is asking to come down to. And the Germans go, like, repeat. And they go, we were at requesting permission to come down to 100,000 feet. And they're like, well, if you think you can fly at 100,000 feet, you're welcome to do so. And then out of nowhere, an SR-71 comes down to 100,000 feet and then is out of their territory yeah. in seconds. And they're like, oh, right. shit. Yeah. Like, this was an SR-71. They had no idea. Like, they yeah. knew what it was. They knew because they were sure. in NATO. But they're like, oh, we didn't realize it was that, and they were requesting to come down. Right, right. And like, what that's what shocked them was when the Americans repeated, it's like, no, 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 we're coming down to 100,000 feet over your territory. Right. Well, that's one of the things that, and I think actually it was Scott Horton who said this, is that after the uh, Cold War ended and basically Russia was open, we realized that they, they did have the nuclear capability they were talking about, but a lot of their silos didn't open. A lot of their nuclear missiles hadn't been checked on in 20 years. That uh, they, had, so, they had a massive amount of tanks, but the tanks didn't go in. They wouldn't go forward. They'd only go in reverse. Like it was just a lot of very strange things. That was like, oh, this is what we've been worried about all this time. And they did have they did have the nuclear capability, so that is scary. Yeah, but, but it, they had they there was no way they could have lasted a ground war. And and we were always like, well, we need to build more tanks. We need to build a bigger navy. We need to build all these things, and we need to up it, up it, up it, up it, up it. And it's like, no. All you need to have is enough missiles to ensure mutually assured destruction, if that's your tactic, because they will nuke some of your cities. That's true, but 
their military. And, and and this is one of the things is that like for me, like the CIA must have known that that's how bad I, I was were. about to ask you that. You honestly think they didn't? They, and, they must have. And, and, and so, it was the military industrial complex was like, no, we got to keep spending. Because the other thing that people don't understand or they don't know is that the military industrial complex, even during the Cold War, was selling to both sides. Mm-hmm. And it was like World Bank was loaning money to the Soviets. We were giving money and to we the Soviets. Giving, yeah, exactly. Well, it, a lot of crazy, well, you know, and this was when the Soviet Union first came. There's this anecdote, and I think I learned about it from Tom Woods, is that a bunch of communists from America went over to the Soviet Union. They were like, wow, your factory production capability is so amazing. We don't have any equipment like this at all. And then they turned the corner, and the big plaque on the, the industrial equipment said, made in New York City. Yeah. And it's like all of that industrial equipment that they had. And they used it all the way up until the fall. And it was we gave it to them during World War II and prior, and and we were shipping you know industrial equipment over to them, and they just continued to use what we gave them. Like, yeah, so like the, it was a what, what do they what do you call that? Like a I don't know what the lend lease program. Well, it was the lend lease program, but what is it like when you like a paper knight? And so like it's not a real paper tiger. Paper tiger, yeah. So it's like there, there's not really. I'm so, sure there was a threat, but it was not the threat that everybody was told was there. Well, so this is this is one of those ones where, and. I just have come to this realization over the last couple months. Mm-hmm. There have been multiple confirmations of deep Soviet agents and spies and flipped FBI agents and naval attaches like that were selling secrets to the Russians for like 30 years of the 50-year Cold War. Like right. they were, you know, super betrayed the U.S. and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the U.S. would have been severely hampered in naval operations because this guy knew where all the ships were mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it always makes it seem like the U.S. and like all the, you know, and this is one of those things that like you and I have talked about before and we haven't talked about on the show. Like all the failed CIA plots, mm-hmm. we only know about the failed ones. Right. We don't know about the thirty-year Soviet agent. Mm-hmm. who the CIA just drowned. Right. Like, and, and I'm making this up, but like probably murdered at the end of the Cold War. So no one ever got to know that like, yeah, the U.S. knew the entire time. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's like, and this is one of the things that like, you know, what mainstream media, the United States government through the Israelis managed to destroy centrifuges on a computer network in Iran that was inside nuclear weapon proof bunkers. Right. That aren't connected to the internet. With a USB. With a USB drive. Yeah. They, they, they created a program that, and it wasn't even like, it just made the centrifuges spin up to a bajillion RPMs and just blow the bearings immediately because you turn them off. Mm-hmm. No, it was so complex that Siemens, the manufacturer, couldn't stop it. Right. And it would spin them up and burn the bearings out over a certain amount of time that was statistically averaged to ensure that they wouldn't be able to enrich enough with it, Mm -hmm. but not super fail in such a way that, like, they would know immediately they'd been compromised. Right. Like, and you're like, oh, yeah, the Russians hacked our elections. Yeah, the U.S. hacked its own elections 17 times. We intercept every digital communication coming and going from the United States. Yeah, and you look at, at too, is that we know that... So, so the as far as we know, the the evidence or whatever for the whole Russian intervention is that they bought a bunch of Facebook ads. That's that seems to be what is, and they gave the Clintons a shit ton of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for so for us, for us. Right. So that you know. seems to be what we know right now. But we also know that the CIA was in the sixties and seventies was 
doing Project Mockingbird, which was that half of, there was only three channels at the time, but the majority of these people working at these media outlets were all CIA agents. But they weren't like full agents, but they were all being fed information by the CIA. So you had a 20 or 30 year period where the US news media, which at the time was three channels and newspapers and supposedly like the good time of media where we like yeah had where everything was like quote unquote honest yeah you had this entire period of time all of these people were giving instruct were given instructions by the cia and like and you think that and they thought they were being all good. of those people who were elected during that time were not cia chosen and or they, were not and, influenced and they thought they were being good patriots yeah because they thought they were the ones being trusted to fight the russians like yeah. this is like, this is what's so insidious about having an enemy. Sure. And that's what the state, like, you know, you, we've you, talked you about. Know, you bring it up, the the yeah. other, which also is Rogan's favorite thing is when he says, like, like they try to separate us into these tribes. And it's true, they do. I think people are naturally tribal, so it's it's kind of a... It, it fits, but, yeah. like, that's, that's what's so terrifying, yeah. this concept of... <clears throat> Like, oh, no, 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 us against them. And, he, and yeah. we're doing it. Where we're going, like, well, what, what do I care what the Californians are doing? Yeah. But I should inherently care what the California is doing sure. because they're humans. Right. And, like, I care that, like, they live a good life. But, like... Well, I do care what they're doing as, as far as it affects me. Yeah. And that... But that's the thing is, like, that's one of those, like, what we're we're talking about is, yeah. like, the concept of... Sure. Like, the government splits us into us, them. I don't... I would not be surprised. Not Rothbard and not Mises, but if, like, there were libertarian figures that were... Yeah. Like CIA sure. de- deep it's, cover yeah, operatives. It's called like, the Cato Institute. A <laughs> <laughs> recent magazine. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, but like, but like that's the, that's the level of like for, and like this is one of those things is people always, like the CIA wants you to think yeah. that they're a joke. Yeah. That like they failed to kill Castro. They didn't fail to kill Castro. They wanted you to be afraid of Castro. They wanted you to be afraid of Castro. Yeah. If they wanted to kill Castro, errant yeah. bomber yeah. that crashed, yeah. uh, like they they would have killed Castro. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to kill Brezhnev or Khrushchev, yeah, those guys would have died. Like, and that's just one of those things. Is like they these people and like what's it? Um, Schumer apparently on January third, twenty third, maybe mm-hmm. um, of this. Maybe it was the. Last year said in an interview before Trump came out with some weird position, like he felt sorry for Trump because he pissed off the deep state. And he's like, these people have six ways to get back at you. Right. Like this is guy, a guy who's 15 years in the House, mm-hmm. 15 years in the Senate. Chuck Schumer. Like, yeah, th- I, there are a few people in Congress where I'm like, yeah, they don't give a shit. Like Justin Amash. Like, I think may care enough because I, I just think he they would kill him. Yeah. But like Rand Paul, I think they'd have a hard time making that look like it was right. something else. Yeah. Like, especially with his dad. Like, I, I think if his dad is still alive, there's no way that his son dies. And it's not like he on video does something to kill himself mm-hmm. that his dad isn't like. I know exactly what you did, and there's no way you're getting away with it. Right. But, like, there are very few people in the Senate. Oh, like, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is also one of those people that, like, unless she, like, shoots herself, somebody's going to blow the whistle. Because, like, she's Pelosi's... She's on the outlets now, because that, well, that speech she gave, the Democrats are kind of like, eh. She's, she's a hundred millionaire. Yeah. She's going to be in Congress as long as she wants, because right. she can outspend anyone else. And yeah. she's always outspent everyone else. Because mm. so, her husband is right. worth... Hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Like, she is the richest person in Congress by a... Well, no, she's currently the richest person in Congress because that one guy who was, like, a billionaire stepped oh, down. Right. Oh, like, he was close to being a billionaire. 
but he stepped down. But like Nancy Pelosi is like the second or third richest person in Congress, just flat out. She doesn't have to raise money. Right. She's just rich enough to run at any point. But like those sort of people, like just um, what's the guy? Massey. Massey. Yeah. Massey's one of those guys who doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like he's a very interesting guy too because he's also super MIT, cool. MIT graduate. Yeah. And like double MIT graduate. Yeah. Like just two and businesses is, that he, did really well and sold. He had a recent article, art, recent article that he was doing where he was talking about how his entire house runs off his Tesla. He's like, yeah, they have the Tesla Powerwall, but mine just runs off the car. Yeah, and and apparently he did it himself because he's very smart. He, yeah, guy. but it's like the guy. It's like the guy who founded founded Segway, not yeah. the guy who drove off the cliff because that's right. not the guy who founded Segway. That's just the guy who owned Segway at the time. Right. The guy founded Segway. I wouldn't be surprised to learn his house ran off of two AA batteries. Right. And it's just like, yeah. like, And he did, and he wasn't cheating going like, I have a wood fire oven. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, just two AA batteries and like. I figured it out. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm just smarter than you. Yeah. But like, I'm not willing to say I'm smarter than you. It's just yeah. like. I, well, I'm like, more concerned about giving water to people. Well, let me come over to your house and I'll fix it. And you yeah. just like six months later, you're like, I don't know how I lived before this, but right. like, you know, like. All right. Well, I think that's a good yeah. a good place to wrap it up. Let's give a. I, we went on such a long tangent of weird deep state conspiracies, but yeah. but that's what I we think are. That's, yeah, that's exactly that's that's what we are. And, yeah. So uh, uh, let's talk about the wine again, because Doctor, I think now that's done, like I feel very buzzed. I feel. Yeah, uh, like I think it's it partially because it's so warm in your apartment. Because it is like, very warm. Like the yeah. like the Soviet state, they control <laughs> right. the heat. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, Doctor Heidemans or Heidemans. Uh, Bergweiler dry 2016 Riesling 11% alcohol by volume um, comes it's a German wine coming from Germany um, it is on the dry scale I didn't so like reds you like the tannicness mm. of it makes them dry I don't know what makes a white dry well no dry means low sugar the, t- the tannicness huh. is tannic it's its own thing oh okay so when when a wine is dry it's because the majority of the sugar in the wine has been metabolized by the yeast. And that might explain the complexity of flavors on this. Because yeah. tangerine definitely sticks out. Mm-hmm. And the acidity, acidity of a tangerine stuck out on the later ends of the of the glass mm-hmm. that I um, – for me. Right. So, like, I can see the, the tangerine kind of a lime flavor to it. Right. But – and there's a bit of a mineralness. And I didn't catch the the farminess that we normally associate yeah. with high yeast. Well, you know, it was more of a smell. It was when, – when you kind of smell it, you there's a, a bit of the kind of – it smells like hay almost. I can see the hay. Yeah. yeah I can see the hay. So, it's, it's very good. It is complex. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I'm not – and, well, I, I'm not going to say that anymore because we've had enough Rieslings now that I, well, you've had enough. You've had enough. Well, you've had two Rieslings. Yeah. But, like, all the Pinot Grigios yeah. except for the New Zealand one, which is uh, – which even Silverleaf. yeah, even that one. Like I re-listened to that the New Zealand episode, and like hearing myself at the beginning, like talking about it, I'm kind of going like, well, no, I do remember that. That was actually not too bad. If it, it was a little the cheaper, thing. like it, that it, would be something I. It go wasn't for. too bad, but it there and the price point. Yeah, there are better. Yeah, Pinot Grigio because it it was or you know what or I would have a cider because it. It, like listening to it and kind of remembering the taste of that one, it was a crisp apple. Whereas I would give this more of a citrusy flavor. Yeah, than apple. definitely citrus. And uh, but I would I would drink this especially on a, like a nice warm summer day with some sort of light meal like chicken maybe or fish. Yeah, and they, I'm not a huge fan of fish, but I, I would grilled eat, fish. You know, yeah, like yeah, grilled, grilled like, river fish. Yeah, like yeah. non seafood fish. Right, like, like a trout. Maybe like trout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bass. So I could see it. I could see it being really good. 
especially, especially when it's warm out. Especially if you cooked this into it. Yeah. Like you use this as the wine in the the cooking. Yeah. So yeah, yeah like that's good. the thing is, fourteen ninety nine. I I don't feel ripped off like mm. like you know given you had to come out of socialist Germany and into partially socialist United States like all of that. <laughs> right. Um, but I I definitely think you know pretty pretty good. But like the Jekyll to me is that. It was that sweet yeah. spot, but hopefully in the next couple yeah. ones we'll have. Uh... See, I would say that I, I think I, I think I enjoyed this one better than the Jekyll. Oh, although wow! Although lately I've been kind of, and I don't know if it's because my palate's changing or because I have a little more experience now, but I have been noticing like more complexity in the wines that mm-hmm. I've had, and I'm kind of and I'm enjoying it. Like I was like, okay, this is interesting. It's different. I'm detecting these things that I didn't detect before, like that franc that I gave mm-hmm. you, the, the Cabernet franc, which. Uh, had a lot more complexity to it than I think I would have realized up on maybe yeah. maybe six months ago. Yeah, um, and and so the kind of having expanding the palate, sort of understanding now a little bit better. And you know, when we first started the show, we were like, well, we don't want the description of the wine to taint us. But I think having those descriptions and then associating it with those flavors has made it so that I can identify those same things in other wines. Yeah, and that's where I think having the description after right after the non-presenter has tasted it mm-hmm. has improved right the ability of it. Because like I read that, you know, I, every time I the total wine like I I go into Total Wine, and that's where I buy every one of them, except for mm-hmm. one I'm going to do a couple of shows down the road, but that's going to be kind of part of our uh, other series of wine sure. tastings and things we do, which you can see on tastinganarchy.com, mm-hmm. and follow us on Twitter, Tasting Anarchy, and you know all that stuff. But like most of the time, I'm like looking at them and kind of like, okay, what's the description here? What's the price point? Where's this from? Because I always try to get us multiple different sources, because mm-hmm. I think that's really big in the growing thing because like right. if you get six from that are from the same oregon valley you know they may have sold grapes to each other you don't know for sure that like it's purely 100 percent them and i don't think they're being dishonest if they didn't say that mm-hmm. but like it's so hard to tell with the wines like because they're like oh sourced from our vineyards you know like wait yeah. a minute i thought you were one vineyard and it's like no we're a winery it's like what's the difference yeah, like, right and it's like oh you know you get down that road so so if you want to try what we tried today, yeah. uh, go to your local wine shop, and it may be a Total Wine. If you're here, I don't know how far Total Wine goes, but... They're uh, all over the country, but they're not... I don't think they're in every state. Yeah. Say yeah. the name one more time, Dr. Um, Heidemann's. Yeah, I would say Heidemann's, H-E-I-D-E-M-A-N-N-S, Bergweiler, B-E-R-G-W-E-I-L-E-R, Dry, 2016 Riesling. Now, if you could get it 2015... You know, yeah, or like if you're listening to this in the future, 2017's out, you know, definitely give it a shot. Um, yeah. As long as you're trying the dry, you're having roughly what we had. Um, I may pick up the sweet. Yeah, we as try the that next as is. the next one, just to see what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that is it. So, like we said, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can email us at tastinganarchy at gmail dot com, or you. you can visit our website and make a comment on one of our articles. Yeah, if you need hosting, check out Bluehost. Bluehost like that's, right. that's where we get ours from. And you know, if you want to support the show, Bluehost. You know, we'll have a hopefully by this point when you're listening to this, we'll have a Bluehost affiliate link. Um, you know, that does help us out. So you know, all that affiliate disclosure stuff. Yes, yeah. it helps us out. Um, but you know, it helps us try to get 
um, more unique wines and things like that. Because, you know, while we only shop at Total Wine currently, there are quite a few pretty high-end local wine shops that I think Mm -hmm. would be interesting to get, uh, come in with a couple suggestions that we like to see what they suggest. Right. Kind of like, you know, find a a palate area. Because, like, the people at Total Wine, I'm not saying that they're unknowledgeable, Mm -hmm. but... A lot of the local wine shops, the owner is there. Right. And that's a big difference than somebody, even the manager at Total Wine. Like they could be have sure. more wine experience, but if you felt confident enough to open a wine shop yourself, mm-hmm. right. that's something like a little more than being an employee, even if you're the manager of yeah. the wine shop, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that, that's a good a good place to end. So have, have a good one, everyone. Have a good week. Fighting all night. Knock down windows and turn down door. Drinking half gallons and calling for more. Drinking wines for the Yodi drink wine. Wines for the Yodi drink wine. Wines for the Yodi drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilfrey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the Yodi drink wine. Wine for the Yodi drink wine. Wine for the Yodi drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the Yodi drink wine. Wine for the Yodi drink wine. Wine for the Yodi drink wine.